and welcome to Helpful Histories, where me and my friends, or as one of them likes to say, the history dummies, their words, not mine, ask and answer all the things you ever wanted to know about history. Today, it's me and my friend Beth for part two of Henry VIII and his first two wives, Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn. Quick recap from where we left off last week. Henry decides to look into divorcing his wife of more than 20 years, Catherine of Aragon, because she hasn't given him a son. He hopes to replace her with his mistress Anne Boleyn, and we pick back up at the beginning of these divorce proceedings. So in 1527, he decides to investigate the marriage from him and Catherine property. He decided to ask the Pope for a divorce, saying that it was wrong for him to have married his brother's wife, because that basically made him brother and sister. And he cited the Bible passage, Leviticus 18.16 as proof, which says... You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. So basically makes as if you've committed incest. Which as we know, was a big no-no. Even back then, at least brother-sister incest was a no-no. Yeah. Not cousins, or not even uncle and niece, but yeah. brother-sister. But other arguments that were used against him, for example, Deuteronomy 25.5 says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. So basically, unless they've had a son, the brother should marry the widow. Yeah. Which like, is exactly what happened. Nearly like take her under his wing. And exactly. It's a, yeah, it is Henry, a yeah, he literally picks, as people do, picks and chooses what suits him. And then Catherine is able to use this passage. Well, look what this says, so... He kind of, he doesn't, doesn't have a leg to stand on. He does in part of the Bible and he doesn't in another. But as we said, Henry picks and chooses what suits him. He argued that actually God hadn't given him a son as proof that the marriage wasn't right. He basically ignores the fact that they have had a full, healthy, loving daughter. Yeah. But a daughter's not a son. Sons previously, but they haven't lived. But he has said, oh, well, well, that's God taking them away because it's not right what we've done. Yeah. So that's the line he goes down. As I say, normally it would actually have probably not been that difficult for Henry to get a divorce. King got to do what they wanted, especially, you know, man versus a woman. And Catherine would have likely have been sent to a nunnery. And she wouldn't have necessarily been sent in disgrace. It would have been seen actually as a normal thing to happen. And in fact, the Pope... What, like retire from basically retire. the queen Pretty, to That's exactly right. Most medieval queens did that in the end, not divorcing their husband, but... Is that because they had nowhere to go, though? Partly, but also it was partly seen as, like, a duty to, you know, be this, um, like, motherly figure, be an abbess, give back to the church, and... Right. Especially, a lot of queens did it after their husbands died, because then there'd be a new queen. Yeah. And unless they had, like, a big influence over their son, which some did, obviously... It was kind of like, right, you get to retire now and go into like a quieter life of... But some of them wanted to do it. Some of yeah. them had enough and wanted to do it, but others don't. But the Pope actually thinks, I'm going to suggest to Catherine that she goes to an honorary because this would mean it would be done very quick and very quiet. It also means that Catherine would not be disgraced and that Mary would keep all of her rights. She'd still be a princess. She'd still be an heir until the son was born. But Catherine is like, um, no, because she'd then have to pretty much admit that their whole marriage had been yeah. wrong. And she's not going to do that. Why would she if, if it's not, you know, why would she do that? And she doesn't want to go. She's only 40. She's not, Yeah. like, she's not 65. So. But then, is that 65 then? Yes, then it is. Earlier. It is. But she's a very, I, very, very good with, like, 
education and with yeah. um politics she's quite involved so i think she doesn't want to give it up plus then she not she wouldn't see her daughter but if she steps aside that is kind of like saying yeah i'm giving up now mary you'll not be queen mm-hmm. where she thinks no that's not right as i said before usually it wouldn't be too difficult for the pope to kind of force her to go to an honorary but this divorce has been goes on for ages and the big reason is because catherine is from the most powerful family in europe it's headed up by her nephew oh, right. yes who's charles v yeah who one wasn't going to let it happen because it's a slight to his family to say oh get rid of her mm-hmm. but more importantly than anything in 1517 charles had been having problems with the pope and he just says yeah like f this and attacks rome it's actually known as the sack of rome it's a big big thing and he takes over the whole city and the pope is a prisoner in the city and under charles v's control right okay so he cannot grant a divorce that would go against yeah. charles's family yeah. or he'd be in big trouble he wouldn't even be allowed to consider it let alone anything else so the this drags on for six years but during the six year time henry just loves Anne more and more and more he is definitely very much one when he can't have it he wants it more the trials then take place during this time between catherine and henry and i really like this catherine gives a very spirited defense of herself she doesn't go away she doesn't feel oh okay i'll just do what she says she says no i've been your queen for 20 years i'm going nowhere bitch basically why though to for mary's sake mary's and her owns and she doesn't want to be replaced who wants and i suppose she's the first one so she doesn't know like what's coming yeah the sixth wife you would have to you pretty much have to admit yeah i've lied this whole time and yeah because even if she doesn't say i lied this whole time but she goes away to nunnery that's like admitting she's a failure so she has this big performance basically and gets down on her knees at some point and apparently says to him this 20 years and more i have been your true wife and by me ye have had divers children though it hath pleased god to call them out of this world which hath been no fault in me and when you had me at first i take god to be my judge i was a true maid without touch of man and whether it be true or no i put to your conscience Catherine's basically saying that anybody saying that I consummated my marriage with Arthur is wrong or lying. She's maybe not going to come right out and say it, but that's her way of saying it. And she is saying that, yes, these children died, but that's not my fault. Which, as we talked about before, is quite important because she got the blame. She didn't get the blame. There's no point in saying anything else. And instead of being a shrinking violet and going away, she does what we would now talk about as being the mic drop yeah and she gets up walks away henry has nothing to say but he literally is can't say anything back to her and he calls for her to return and she won't do it and as we we're talking about that children's tv show before the beth the big prude won't watch <laughs> um maybe that's better beth the big prude won't watch and um there's a lot of bums in it right enough are you against bums no, I'm not against bums. <laughs> what is it you're against? Uh, period dramas, probably. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, fair enough. So, I, must, like, I had watched a film about... Was uh, it The Other Boleyn Girl? Something where... And then I was... I'd send my friend, who was like a history buff too, and that this happened. She was like, no, that just happened in the film. That's yeah, not that's what true. actually you happened. You have to be so careful. It's, it's probably better just not. 
no, it's good, I think, because it might get people interested. And they obviously do some things well. Like, that's what I was going to say. They do this scene quite well in that right. show. It's very dramatic. The actress is very good. Yeah, you can imagine that yeah. being in a film. Like, it's it's sad. It pulls at your emotions from her point of view. Mm-hmm. And then, like, real drama from him calling her back. And yeah, saying, no, back. they do they do do it very well. So I would definitely recommend that. And, you know, people, I like to, to talk about Catherine because people think she's this old woman. That he puts to this like I think people yeah. think of her like the old woman in the shoe. They're just like, yeah, she had loads of kids. Then he sort of put her aside and she wasn't like that. She's only forty when this was happening. Yeah, She's... but then people look at it also in the context of all of his other wives. Like yeah. he just put them to the side, but he did. That's not But she I think people think like, Oh, she was that old dirty first wife and he just wanted rid of her and she was just a bit cross and wouldn't go, but it's not as simple as that. She wasn't this old woman she was 40 years old she'd given everything to him yeah. and england she'd been there since she was 16 and she didn't want to give up but why should she and I, and she she had worked for it she like, had worked she for wasn't it. just a, a queen as in a dutiful wife yeah she'd she, done stuff for when england. he wasn't there then yeah she had worked and she doesn't want to then weaken her daughter's position by you know giving up and going away and saying like yes yeah. okay yes it would be good that mary would still be legitimate but then she'd be basically saying okay but mary is not gonna be queen and she doesn't feel like that's right yeah so she's not maybe not giving up for her daughter's sake yeah that's true and that's a big part of a lot that she does she does genuinely think no 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 i can't for the sake of my child i need to do this that or the other or not do this that or the other obviously henry not accustomed to being denied what he wants starts to realise that he's not going to get anywhere with the Pope because Charles V is just too influential. And he decides it's time for a change. And this is where the Church of England comes into play. Henry VIII, while being the man who starts the Church of England, was actually just really a big Catholic his whole life. Like, whenever he makes the church, he doesn't really change anything. It's more that it makes him powerful. He had always been a devoted Catholic, He'd even written a defense of the Catholic Church called the Defense of the Seven Sacraments. When Martin Luther had kick-started the Reformation in 1517 by kneeling his 95 theses to the Wittenberg Church. And actually the defense of the Seven Sacraments was kind of like a rebuttal to that. Okay. So he was very against Martin Luther. But obviously Martin Luther has a big influence, tricky in Germany, but it starts to spread across Europe and it gets to England. And one of the people that really likes him and supports him and becomes a reformer is Anne Boleyn. And on top of that, around this time, Thomas Cromwell, who had been in the background but was becoming more prominent now, becomes one of Henry's closest advisors. And he's also a reformer. So that's two, probably the two most important people surrounding the king are now reformers. And so they open his eyes to ideas that, for example, the Pope shouldn't be in charge. Henry should be in charge of the English church because what's a Roman Pope? Or what's an Italian mm. Pope going to know about England? Henry thinks, you know what, this isn't a bad idea and I could get a divorce this way. But it is important to note that he pretty much is a Catholic in disguise after this. Like he pretty much follows all the other rules. He's yeah. he's very much still in that mindset. But as we've seen before, he picks and chooses what suits him. So Anne Boleyn and her family have a, a chaplain known as Thomas Cramner. And she brings him to Henry's attention and he says, okay, you're a smart guy. You figure out my divorce. In the meantime, obviously, Anne's been keeping Henry at bay, but eventually they decide, okay, now I'm that I'm going to be head of the Church of England, we can do this. And they, at some point, they consummate the relationship. 
after roughly about seven years of waiting, Anne's done very well. And do not get me wrong, there's all sorts of <laughs> seven year itches. Seven year itches, right? But she's there's been other things they've done other things that haven't just been completely chased for seven years but they've been smart enough not to have sex so that she doesn't get pregnant too early they secretly marry in 1533 on january and he is even by the church of england standards still technically married at that point to catherine yeah but because he's the king whenever he then um does get rid of catherine it's still considered okay but because she's pregnant they don't want to wait for the marriage okay rome obviously are very much against this and he very quickly gets his divorce anyway from Catherine, so it's fine in terms of England. Cramner's the man that married them. And unsurprisingly, he is made Archbishop of Canterbury the same year and annuls the marriage of Henry and Catherine in May. Okay. So by May, he's definitely in the eyes of the English church not married to Catherine and is married to Anne. Yeah. And she's obviously very heavily pregnant at this point. She is crowned queen in June 1533 in a massively lavish over the top display really yes because he wants it to be like look this is legitimate this is you know you couldn't possibly stand against this woman look how much power we have we can do all these things and also it's like a celebration for people like when um, a moniker's crying there's like free wine in the streets and free food so it's like another way to kind of make people be on the side is she not like visually heavily pregnant yeah yes, she is so people who not do the maths like, oh no they knew. realize that... but that wasn't a mentally uncommon thing like see this um idea of so obviously yes you had to be a virgin you had to be but the really super 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 strict time where it's like even to have an affair is oh it's scandalous that's the victorians mm-hmm. so kings were expected to have mistresses and illegitimate children so i'd say that probably played into it a little bit of like but also They'll say, oh, we were married in January anyway. So even though she was pregnant, they can sort of backdate it and be like, ah, oh, but it was all right. So, and they probably fudged the the dates too. They yeah. probably said, you know, oh, she's not that far along. She's big. She's crowned and Henry has a new queen and Anne has achieved this goal that she has been determined to get for seven years. And her family obviously skyrocket with her. They become very close to the king and get a lot of land and a lot of money. Catherine is obviously persona non grata at this point. She is sent away to several castles and lives in kind of poverty again, kind of like when she was in between husbands back in the day. And she eventually dies at Kimbledon Castle in January 1536 at the age of 50. So she's not that old by any means, but she was seen as an old woman then. She hadn't been allowed to see her daughter at all. And she had, I quite like this, Anne Boleyn had asked for some of the jewellery that Catherine held, which were part of the royal crown jewels that the Queen wears, and mm-hmm. Catherine refused to give them up. She was eventually forced, but she was like, no, 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 I am the Queen, I am not giving you my jewellery, piss off. How did she manage that? Oh, she would have hid them, and she would have, um, the King himself would never have come, but like, men would have came to try and get them, and she kind of had this way of, I think concealing people, them. Well, concealing them, but also they would a lot of people still saw her as the queen. Yeah. So they weren't gonna be like, ah, ha, 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 yeah, and take it off her by force. So there was a lot of that now and is eventually recover the jewels, but I just like that she's like, No, yeah, these are mine, I'm not giving these up. But unfortunately, as I say, poor Catherine dies in very ill, she more than likely had cancer and wasn't allowed to see her child. Writes a final letter to Henry about, you know, how she's always considered herself his wife and is devoted to him and please look after our child. And so she dies in relative poverty considering what she had been before. 
So you would think that this means everything's perfect for Henry and Anne. It definitely wasn't. In 1533, in September, this is obviously just before Catherine dies, Anne gives birth to the child that she's pregnant with during the marriage to Henry. And that is the future Elizabeth I. So another daughter. So Henry's disappointed, but he's not mad. He thinks, okay, well... We had this child right away, so sons will come. Like she's obviously healthy and able to have yeah. a healthy child. What age are they at this stage? Anne would be roughly, depending on her her birth date, she could be anything from late twenties to early thirties. Yeah. Henry would be in his early forties, so they're not old. They're not in our she, terms. So I always think. Yes, well. that's true. But like biologically, we also know that like tw- late twenties, early thirties, you can have plenty of children, and it's fine. And the same with him. Like, there's no reason to believe at this point that they won't have more children. So, Catherine has died. Anne has a daughter. What happens to the other daughter? That's Catherine's daughter, Mary, obviously. She is now seen as illegitimate. And she's forced into the household of her infant sister to basically be a lady and waiting to her the infant that's replaced her. And stripped of all of her titles. And she's not allowed really to be called princess anymore. She has to be referred to as the Lady Mary. Why is she illegitimate? I can't illegitimate see. <laughs> because Henry has the marriage like decreed annulled and divorces her and basically because Catherine wouldn't give in it's a spiteful thing he does really right okay and he could really if he had wanted to he pushed and had her to stay legitimate yeah but he decides no I want done with this whole thing and because therefore their parents were technically never married after an annulment she's illegitimate so it's a big massive slap in the face and now obviously she goes on to do bad things no one disputes that, but she has a rough yeah. childhood. Like, you can see where her mind gets warped. Mm-hmm. She really is pushed from post to pillar. And she obviously despises Anne Boleyn. And... Understand? No, not really. She doesn't despise him. She's cross and she hates what he does, but she kind of always has... They, when they come back together, they actually always seem to get on quite well. I think it's just like a mental block of, well, he's my father, I have to do what he says. Yeah. But she that never, yeah, and I think it's easier for her to think it's Anne Boleyn's at fault than her father. Yeah, the evil stepmom. Literally, like, she, yes, literally, like, there's all sorts of things. Anne thinks that Mary's trying to have her poison. Mary thinks Anne's trying to have her poison. So they're just, <laughs> and she doesn't hate Elizabeth. And they actually are quite close Um, before Mary's queen. They actually get on okay. When, after Mary's queen, then they really fall out but she doesn't have a hatred of her, like, as in, like, oh, that baby, I hate that child. She's kind of yeah. like, oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> but so she's, it must be quite, though, depressing to be a lady in waiting to the person who's now replacing you as the star of this whole court. But unfortunately for Elizabeth, as it was for Mary, it won't last for very long. So Anne had never been very popular with the people. So it said before that Catherine was really popular with the people. She was a very good, you know, Catholic queen, was very good. She did things for the church. She just had a, a certain way about her, I think, people really liked. So the royals would have went on progress, so people would have seen them. Yeah. And I think she, you know, she was a dutiful wife. She produced a child. She was quite traditional, and people liked that. Anne was none of those things. She tried to do some of the things that Catherine did, but mm-hmm. because, obviously, she had already swept in and taken Catherine's place, people hated her. They just hated her. And it didn't really matter what she did and so she massively suffered by being compared to Catherine and she wasn't as prepared I think is the right word yeah for life as a queen the way Catherine had been so you have to remember Catherine's actually born and brought up to be some man's queen yeah 
and Anne isn't. It's very Diana Camilla. Yeah, it's very Diana Camilla. Kate Middleton and Megan Meghan. Markle. Yeah. It is very Kate and Megan, I think, yeah. So she tries obviously her best to, to fulfill the role and was interested in helping the poor. But one of the big things is where Catherine turned a blind eye to Henry's affairs because she knew that was just what kings did and didn't. Okay. She would take it very badly when he would have an affair. She'd confront him about it. But she was the only woman. I know. Before. Well, this is a great irony. I think part of her did think, oh no, you know, it's different, I think, if it was like a one-off thing, but when it was a woman who maybe, and he didn't have another mistress that was like a big long-term thing, but if it was more than a couple of occasions, she felt very threatened. Okay. But I think that's why yeah. Yeah. she'd been that person. So she knew it was possible. This obviously caused a lot of tension to the marriage because Henry's not used to this and then still no son so things start to turn sour. In 1536, not actually long after Catherine dies, Anne has a stillborn son and Henry realises I'm not going to get a son on this woman. He's starting to get more and more flippant as time goes on. There's actually an interesting theory that he was, his personality had changed due to head trauma. Right. So he had a jousting accident uh-huh. uh, during his time of his marriage to Anne and he did have a bad hit in the head and actually thought he might die. Right. And when he came back around, there is some suggestion that his personality was different. Okay. And it has been recorded in other people, yeah. like modern day, that actually that can yeah. happen, your personality can flip. So I'm not saying he wouldn't have done this, but it's very interesting to note that he does become more flippant mm-hmm. and easier to anger after this happens. So it's it's something worth looking into. It's kind of like, you know, there's a thing now with the NFL, like the concussions and stuff. Yes. It's a little bit like that. So he's pissed off with Anne. She hasn't had the son after everything they've been through and she promises him the word and he thinks, oh, she's pulled the wool over my eyes, basically. The charges are then brought against Anne an accuser of adultery with five different men and couldn't incest with her own brother. Now, it is 99.9% sure she didn't do anything. Obviously, she definitely didn't have a relationship with her brother. That was just to sensationalise it and make it even worse. Mm. And to help bring down the Boleyn family as well. Right, okay. And she didn't have an affair. She was too smart for that. She didn't. It's just so unlikely that she had an affair with anyone. It was just that she was... So Henry could never have killed Catherine. She's too powerful. Her family's too powerful. But who's going to stop him? Because I'm blind. But then if he's head of the church now, why didn't he just get another divorce? Because it's more than that. He feels like he has been duped by this woman and he wants to make her pay. He is quite a violent... Like, I definitely think queer sociopath. Do think as well that he waited so long to marry her like, and she kept him hanging on? Mm-hmm. I definitely think he felt embarrassed by the whole thing and that it was nearly more like... If I get if I get her on these trumped up charges, because he accuses her of several things, not just that, he accuses her of witchcraft and stuff. So then it's like, right, she used witchcraft to get me, so it's not my fault that I fell for her. And also, then if you accuse someone of witchcraft, they have to be then killed. you're saying he had a head trauma. Maybe he did believe those things? I don't think he believed them. I gen- Maybe the affairs? I don't know, but he didn't believe she was a witch. Or other people could have been. Oh, yeah. Other people would have been in his ear, and he was a very yeah. paranoid person. But I think the deep root of it is she didn't do what he had expected of her and he has become, he's starting to really become the tyrant at this point. So he decides, mm, I've had enough. One of the things used against her, now what she did was very stupid here. One of the things used against her was a comment she made to Sir Henry Norris, who was one of the five men that was accused of having an affair with her and who was like a pretty good friend of the king, where she said to him one day in like a flirtatious way, 
that he looked to fill dead men's shoes, which means he liked her and it would suit him if the king was dead so he could marry her. So that would be the dead man's shoes. So to talk about the king dying in any way is considered treason, but also her saying like, oh, you'd love to marry me, wouldn't you? Now, that's obviously a silly thing to say in a woman of her position, but she is starting to panic at this point and she knows she's not in a good place. So I think it's understandable that she might say something she shouldn't. And obviously, just because she says that doesn't mean then he should chop off her head or that she had an affair. <laughs> so things like that, though, were used against her. She's also, as we said before, accused of being a witch. And that that's how she's just a king and it wasn't his fault. She did supposedly have six fingers. And obviously, we got one removed. And that was always traditionally a sign of witchcraft. Right. And a mole on her neck. And a, there was a thing at the time as well about moles in certain places were evidence of witchcraft, which obviously we on know her now. Neck as well, yes. though, where they would have been totally covered up apart from their neck, you mm. know, and their hands. Yeah, of course, so. it's an easy. Yeah, exactly. It's all chopped up have evidence. Moles everywhere for an, all the new because. Yes. And Joe like it's just what anything and because he knew nobody could stop him he didn't have a foreign cousin or nephew to worry about mm. she was his subject no other country in europe were going to fight for her because a she was english yeah. they didn't need to and b a lot of them were against her anyway so he knew he could do whatever he wanted um during her trial she's kept in the tower of london which i think is very sad because the tower of london doubles as the place you stay before your coronation yeah. And in a prison. So she's in the same place she was at her greatest moment of triumph. Now she's there knowing that she's probably going to get the chop. So that's quite sad. She has to go through a trial, but it's pretty much a show trial. Like, it doesn't matter. She gives a good defense of herself. It doesn't matter. They're going to find her guilty anyway. What's quite uh, upsetting is her uncle, her maternal uncle, who had pushed her to be Henry's mistress and was heavily involved was like the head man at the trial and was you know basically saying yep you're an adulteress you're a whore you're a witch so well he wouldn't want to go against the king no and he he wants it to be like oh well if my niece is these things i couldn't have known if she is a witch she's pulled all over Mm -hmm. my eyes too so everyone's convicted including the five well four of the five men they are executed on the 17th of may 1536 that's the man her marriage to the king is declared invalid the day before she herself is executed she's given a final confession in which you know we have to remember how important religion is in these days these people were very likely unlikely to lie in their last confession and she says i'm not guilty of any of these things i've done but i go to my death knowing that i'm innocent yeah and that's a big thing it's the same with Catherine. like it's very difficult to believe considering how genuinely religious both these women were yeah. that they would lie she is beheaded on the 19th of may it's a very dignified death. She actually makes a, a speech. It's a very like, stirring speech. And she actually makes a joke about her little neck and how it wouldn't take them long to get rid of her. And she dressed in ermine, which is a royal thing. Only royals can have an ermine trim on their clothes. Okay. And she wears red, which is the colour of martyrs. So she's if she's going out, she's going out in style. Her final words are a speech that do pray for the king. She's very good. She says you know look after him and he's a good king and he'll look after you which we know isn't true but anyway and she asks the people that are present to pray for her and says basically if anyone later in life looks into my cause you know look into it with honesty and see what you think and she's beheaded she's then buried in the tower of london so if you go to the tower of london there's a uh, chapel in the middle of it called the chapel of saint peter ad vinicula 
and she's buried there pretty much for a long time it was an unmarked grave okay so she's kind of it's kind of where traitor it always seems funny to me it's where like royal traitors are buried so it's still a big status symbol yeah. I, you know but then is it is a show of power for the royal yeah pretty much it's like oh this is where you'll go yeah so she's buried in there for a while she's buried in a chest without any kind of marking and later in a she, chest mm, yeah like it would have been a big chest not saying oh, they chopped yeah, up but, that, but you know it's so... not she's later actually eventually joined by henry's fifth wife who was her first cousin right catherine hard so you'd think he had learned from his or the the hires would have learned from their mistakes but they didn't and she eventually then uh, took like a stone so if you go to this church mm-hmm. they're behind the altar and they're like buried beneath you can't see them yeah. and they have like a stone that says here lies and it's Amberlynn and Catherine Hard and Catherine Hard pretty much executed for the same reasons for mm-hmm. affairs but she actually did have the affairs mm-hmm. not that it makes it execution worthy in the aftermath of all of this comes wife number three I just wanted to give people sort of a quick idea of what will happen after these two women so Henry wastes no time in taking wife number three Jane Seymour becomes his third wife only 11 days after Anne Boleyn's executed so she'd been there in the background he had already become infatuated with her before Anne died but he had her in prison before that did he no Anne was still queen at this point right so this is around the time Anne loses the third child and he realizes I'm not gonna have sons by her and actually, there's supposed to have been an incident where Anne comes into her room once and sees Jane Seymour sitting on Henry's knee and that makes her go mad and actually causes her to lose the child, apparently. Jane Seymour plays the same game that Anne does. And she is genuinely a wee bit more like a Catherine of Aragon. She refuses until, you know, she wouldn't do that with a married man. And that obviously, Henry loves that. He loves women like that. So she becomes his new main focus. And they get married. And they do have a son edward the sixth he will become and he does live past his father but honestly not for much longer than his father and dies as a child and jane herself actually dies giving birth to the son so it seems like he can never have both he either has the son or he has the wife mary the first who's the daughter of henry and catherine who'd always hated anne boleyn wasn't obviously sad at all to see her go her and james seymour actually get on very well and she kind of makes the father and daughter come back together but in order to, I always find this very sad, Mary, to basically be allowed to have like recontact with her family and her life, has to eventually agree that her parents' married, marriage had been wrong. And at this point, she's been holding out and saying, no, I'm not going to do that to my mother. But her cousin, Charles V, actually says, look, I can't help you anymore. You need to agree to this for your sake and ours. So she does. But she actually always regrets it and talks a lot about how she regrets it. And eventually, she goes on to become... Queen Mary the first or she's more commonly known Bloody Mary because she yeah. kills a lot of people and I th- obviously what she does is terrible but you can see how her mind must become warped like her father I mean to me her father is a full-blown sociopath who abuses his children mentally and emotionally but obviously the most famous of Henry's children is Elizabeth the first so she's made it illegitimate as well as the same thing that happens to Mary after the parents after Anne dies sorry right and she's only two at this age. She doesn't really have any memories of her mother or any influence from her mother. But she does receive a good education and a pretty good upbringing. And she becomes queen after Mary dies. And she goes on to become one of the most famous people in history ever. And one of the best rulers in history mm-hmm. ever. So the child that Henry probably least rated. Because she wasn't a boy. And Mary was from a 
better stock of a mother mm-hmm. is actually the one that did the best. Did the best. Yeah, so that's always quite ironic, I think. It's considered a golden age in England's history, mm-hmm. so that's a that's a pretty big deal. As for good old Henry VIII himself, he went on to have another three wives after the death of Jane Seymour. So he had Anne of Cleves, who was known as the Flanders Mirror, which is basically a way of saying ugly. Right. Even though she probably actually wasn't, it was just that she didn't think Henry was... She, when she met Henry, didn't realise it was Henry. He was mm-hmm. playing a part. And the idea of the romances, she should have been able to tell him apart from the others because the king would, you know, stand out because he's so kingly. Right. And she couldn't. And he took that sick, basically. And then he married her? He kind of had to, because she was a foreign princess again. It makes a big difference when they're foreign, because they have powerful families. Okay. So he had to marry her, but he divorced her as soon as he could. <laughs> right. So that's lovely. But she did quite well. She lived the longest out of all his wives, and actually was considered his sister, which is hilarious, but got loads of money out of it. So she she did okay. Then he marries Catherine Howard after that, who he had been with before his marriage to Anne of Cleves fell apart. And... As we know, she gets beheaded because she has affairs and she's she's like a 20-year-old and he's about 50 when they get married, so it's not mm-hmm. going to end well. And then he marries Catherine Parr, who survives him. She's the one that survives. But she is a bad end too. She marries a brother of Jane Seymour's and dies in childbirth. So none of them have a great, great end. None of the last three marriages produced any children, mostly likely because Henry had become impotent and wouldn't admit it. And he dies in 1547, having long been considered a tyrant by the people in England at this point. So Elizabeth the first, yes, she was the end of the Tudors because she didn't she, have any children. So then. she dies childless. So she never, obviously, famously never marries or never marries, never marries, and like is known as the Virgin Queen. Even though I'm pretty sure she wasn't a virgin, she did oh. have a man on the side, Robert Dudley, who she very likely, oh, right. very I've likely, yeah, did have some kind of relationship with. She dies childless. And so what happens is the the Tudor dynasty goes mm-hmm. to Mary, Queen of Scots' son. Yeah. So Mary, Queen of Scots' grandmother was Henry VIII's sister. Yeah. So they're the next line that it can come down through. So it will go back to Henry VIII, but all his other children are already dead and they didn't have children. So then it goes back mm-hmm. to his family and his eldest sister had married a king of Scotland. Mm-hmm. And had, obviously, her children came down. So Mary, Queen of Scots, was her granddaughter. Right. So even though, in terms of, you would expect it, like, obviously, if it's Henry's daughter, it would be Margaret's daughter. But just the way the age gaps worked out. Um, wasn't Mary, Queen of Scots, married to King Philip of Spain? No. Who's That's that? Mary the First. Oh, okay. She's married to King Philip um, the second of Spain, who then tries to marry Elizabeth afterwards, and she's like, right. no, thank you. Ah, uh, see, that's where I thought the... Yeah. So Mary, Queen of Scots, and Elizabeth are cousins. Her son, so Mary, as we all know, Elizabeth has to have Mary, Queen of Scots, executed because she plots against her. Mm-hmm. So then it falls to Mary's son. Has to. Has, has to, to have her She pretty executed. much does, though, because she, and she tries for a long time to get away. Wo- she does lock her up just for a long time, doesn't she? Yeah, but Mary kind of plots against her the whole time. Yeah. Like, so it's not well, as simple. What else are you going to do when you're stuck in a Well, she, castle. Mary had caused a lot of problems before this. Mm-hmm. So she, um, there were rumours as well. She'd already been plotting against Elizabeth because the Catholics wanted Mary on the throne. Yeah. So that didn't yeah. help. And then she definitely plotted against her when she was locked up. So obviously, Elizabeth tried for a very long time not to have her executed because, she, first of all, she didn't want to. And mm-hmm. second of all, she didn't like the precedent of a queen being executed. Mm-hmm. 
but eventually it got out of hand. People were trying to break her out of jail to make okay. her like a figurehead. So it was either because they wanted to go back to yeah. Catholic. So Elizabeth kind of, for her own sake, kind of had no choice really but to get rid of her. But she did execute. It's not like that was a one-off. Oh, she executed a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The and worst offender as well. Like, isn't that? Yeah. Like we would know it now as, like your father getting on like your father did mm-hmm. or you've kind of inherited that yeah. or you've grew up with that or you've yeah. seen it and that's the sort of person that you become yes well elizabeth was probably the most tolerant of all of them mary has the reputation of bloody mary because she did kill a lot of protestants but actually her father killed a lot more people well then also she's their father's daughter oh yeah she definitely <laughs> she was him like she was yeah. a mini him and although I know pe- some people say, oh, well, why do they say Bloody Mary if her father killed more? But you have to remember, she was only queen for like seven years and killed and a lot woman, of people. So it, do you think it would have yeah, been more? Yeah, 100%. And it suited Elizabeth's reign if people thought of Mary as bad. Yeah, yeah. But I think sometimes people try to make too many apologies for Mary. Like, yes, she killed less people than her father, like thousands less, but she also was queen for a lot less time. Yeah. So neither of the two of them were good. Edward the sixth, who was the son who was king right after henry was a sickly child and didn't really he was like a fervent protestant mm-hmm. so things could have been quite different if he had continued on and he tried to stop mary being his heir so did they flip between after henry when it became edward mm-hmm. did they flip back to protestant again so by this point a lot of the country is starting to become protestant because of the church of england even yeah. though henry himself isn't the country is so a lot yeah. of people are happy with it when he's king then equally there's still a lot of catholics so they're happy when mary becomes queen by that point it is starting to move towards protestantism so when elizabeth becomes queen it's a bit more settled and then obviously that's the spanish armada yeah that's the spanish armada so philip that happens after mary queen of scots is executed he that he's at that point he's like oh she's gone too far and he invades and gets turned out there and then mary's queen of scots is protestant or catholic so she's very catholic and Scotland has been a Catholic country, but it's becoming Protestant as well. And her son, even though it's her son, when he's born, he's kind of brought up as, I don't know if it's Church of Scotland, but there's quite a strong um, Protestant movement in Scotland at this time. And because when he's born, her life's kind of chaos for a long time and she's all over the place. He's not really brought up by her, but he's brought up by Protestants. So he's mm-hmm. quite um, a big force in the Protestant church. So after she dies and he's king, it's Protestant all the way. And it was, I had told you already before we did this that mm. I only realised that Protestant meant protest, protest yeah. of. Um, but you figured it out yourself. I was there when the epiphany like, happened. Because <laughs> I was reading something about, like, yeah. I was reading my horrible histories book. She's, I recommend. Yeah, I mean. I love horrible histories. I, they don't fill in the gaps. Like, you don't need, gotta, that's not the point of them. They're to give I, you. I know what I'm like with research. I'm like, ooh, it's true. <laughs> I need to know it's more. True. It's true. Like but I got excited by She got very it. excited. I learned from horrible histories, but that was, it didn't say that in yeah. the horrible histories books, but it dawned on me while reading it. That that's what it means. Yeah, and actually yeah. haven't seen the word written down, seeing it. Yeah, I think when you say it written down, it looks more obvious. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much where it came from. That's when the guy who that's when Scotland and England join. Yeah. So with James, he's known as James the Sixth in Scotland, but James the First is what we all know him as because that's what he was in England. Yeah. And then it's his family. Then there's the Stuarts. I always find the Stuarts quite boring in comparison. No, they are. Yeah, I agree. Don't get me wrong, get up to stuff. And when it gets to like Charles the Second, James the Second, and the William and Mary, then it gets a bit more exciting <laughs> again because obviously a lot's happening there. But yeah, before that's a bit like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, I'm wrong. 
Charles I is the first ever king in England to be publicly executed. Okay. So it's what happens with him is how but that's not very exciting with him. With him going no, on his way out. <laughs> that's you know Oliver Cromwell and all that. Yeah. That's that's that. So that's where it all starts getting exciting there. I think like doing this with you and like I always said the tutors because they're dirty brutes. Like <laughs> that's why I wanted to talk about the tutors, but and because I got you the microphone, got an honorary slip into the podcast. Well, you would have always got into the podcast, but it just <laughs> kind of felt like the right time. Um, but yeah, she bribed her way in. So send me <laughs> gifts and you might get in. I think we, you realise how much of little snippets of things. And I know we work in museums, so mm-hmm. obviously you pick up stuff. Yeah. And you maybe work with people who talk about history a lot more yeah. than is normal. But how much you've learnt over the years and it all kind of pieces together. Yeah, it does. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Beth, for coming on. You're welcome. <laughs> she She's very happy about it. And I don't doubt we'll have Beth back soon. I know. The only thing is actually being on it. It's not going to help me fall asleep this time listening to your podcast. We are nice soothing to That's Yes, history. not because she's bored. No, not because I'm bored at all. <laughs> I do it with lots of podcasts. I do it's too, to be fair. But... I actually do do that. Well, you never know. You might be soothed by your own voice, you wee creep. Well... <laughs> That's everything from us today. If you liked the episode, you can find and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other podcast apps. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Helpful Histories, as well as HelpfulHistories.com. If you'd like, you can leave a review or share on any of these platforms. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a few weeks with another episode.